WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. What is this? What, what is this? What's what? what? Is this live radio? Is this is this what live radio sounds like? I, f- I forget. I, I I don't know. It's been a while. It's been uh, two weeks, I think, since we've been in the spooky studio. We're glad to be back. Welcome everybody. This is Spooky South Coast. I'm Tim Weisberg. Silent assassin Matt Costa is behind oh, the God. boards. It's nice to be actually behind an actual board again, isn't it? It is, in fact. Instead of being like out in my backyard. Nothing against your backyard, but. There's no uh, this is a little more comfortable, I guess. Relatively low for me of, anyway. Relatively low threat of triple E also in the spooky studio, as much as in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And science advisor Matt Moniz is along as well. What's happening, Tim? Hey, uh, you know we can't swear anymore, so keep that in mind. All right. Okay, we do have the 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 delay is back and running just in case, right? It is. Just okay, in case. Good. For those who missed it, uh, we were off the air for two weeks for Patriots preseason football, and uh, we were actually. Otherwise uh, engaged, uh, I was actually at both of those games covering them for the paper. But we did do special edition podcast programs uh, on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, also on iTunes, PodcastAlley.com, PodcastPickle.com, Podcast.com, and Podcast.net. So there's just a few of the sites you can get those shows in case you missed them. The first show, uh, a little bit of controversy surrounding that one, a little bit of... Uh, Best show Ever. That's that's uh, the general general uh, consensus is that it, you know, some people did feel that it was a chance for us to open up and you got to hear a little bit of what we are actually like ourselves because we could say what we wanted to say and we didn't have to have the radio filter that uh, we magically have when we come back in here. So uh, Matt Moniz, did you uh, hear anything from anybody specifically about? I mean, aside from the the controversy, I mean, did you hear anything specifically about what it was that we discussed? Did anybody? comment on the fact that we shared our personal experiences with the paranormal well that's one of the things i got was people liked having our own personal input what put us into looking into the paranormal what were our our little hook events that got us looking some people thought that our regular format that we do right now is more to their liking because they like structure they like being predictable and they like, know, they like the news like, element of it yeah. too i mean it's we try to present this program as uh, maybe something that you hadn't heard before a lot of the times it's something uh, we haven't heard before we try to not only bring in different opinions and, and viewpoints for the listener but for ourselves as well because if we're going to continue to learn about the paranormal uh, we can't just keep going with the same old status quo of, of what we've read and what we've agreed we have to challenge what it is that we already accept and i think these last well, the, the the show two weeks ago, the first podcast-only show, which runs at about two hours and 20 minutes, uh, and that's without commercials and uh, without bumpers and all that other stuff, but 
I mean, it really was just a chance to like let our let our hair hang down and and as I said on the message board, even if nobody listened to that show, it was important for us to sit there and to do that show, to to just have that bonding experience and 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 to gain that uh, to better gain, understanding of each other. Exactly, and uh, the downside to that though is. Uh, if you are looking for some groundbreaking information on the paranormal, you weren't really getting it in that uh, edition. Matt Moniz did uh, share a lot of information with us about different aspects of things we haven't talked about, such as uh, thought photography and, and, and other areas. But generally, it was just a chance to really get to know us. And last week's program was uh, a little bit more somber. Uh, the passing of legendary paranormal investigator Ed Warren uh, about a week and a half ago the day after he passed away, he passed away on Wednesday, and on Thursday we were able to secure a uh, about an hour on the phone with John Zaffis, his nephew and a, a previous guest here on Spooky South Coast. He shared with us the life and the legacy of Ed Warren. Uh, so if you if you haven't heard that show, please log on to SpookySouthCoast.com, iTunes, however you get the show, and give it a listen because uh, John does. Uh, give us a little bit more insight into who Ed was as a person and as the person who trained him uh, in paranormal investigating. It's it's strange because, for the most part, this is a science. I mean, ghost hunting does go back a long time, and paranormal investigating of all sorts goes back a long time, for as long as this phenomena has existed. I mean, don't don't fool yourself into thinking that this is a relatively new thing. However, the approach that is taken these days is relatively new and uh, we are seeing some of these pioneers in the field getting a little bit older and so they they will pass on but for you know for the most part it's it's a young science if you want to refer to it as a science you know what i'm saying yeah i know what you're saying it, it's there's always been you can the turn anything into a science it's exactly. all in the application of how you look the, at it the investigation has been there the methods of how they do it these days you know like we see with taps and and a lot of these groups now with the actual scientific equipment is relatively new and uh people like ed warren were on the forefront they still use some of that older style the psychic feeling and the intuition feeling uh, his wife lorraine is a sensitive yeah so there is that aspect to it um but you know it's also progressing Does, every day. It still doesn't mean that their input isn't valid. No, it's not just at all, one no. more piece of data that you can add to your collection. Do I discredit what they say? No. But do I require a little bit more corroborating evidence? Yes. Yeah. And I think that most uh, most people that look at the paranormal will have that point of view to it. You know, it's they're willing to listen to a sensitive, to a psychic, what have you, a medium, however you want to refer to people that have that higher sense of awareness, that... Uh, extrasensory perception, uh, not ESP per se, but th that extra level of, of cognition that not everybody is able to exercise. Uh, and it, it does have its validity. I just, I'd, I'd like to see a video. I'd like to see a photograph. I'd like to see, I'd like to hear audio evidence and add that into the personal experiences, as I'm sure most of our listening audience does as well. Speaking of our listening audience, tonight we are going to have a little bit of a different structure to the show. Um, we've talked about how we've had a structure and a form to the show. We basically bring a guest on every night, every edition, and we interview them for pretty much the whole show uh, and talk to them about all different aspects of whatever it is that they're knowledgeable about. 
Tonight, though, because it's been a while since we've been on the air and we know that people have had questions pop up in their mind and they've had ex- maybe experiences with the paranormal while we've been off the air, and we're going to give everybody a chance to call in and to share their personal experiences. We're going to throw the phone lines wide open tonight at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. We want you to call in anything related to the paranormal that you'd like to share, uh, be it uh, an experience you had with a spirit maybe or uh, something you saw some strange lights in the sky. Any time in your life, it's it's wide open. Uh, if there's something that you're not that sure about and you have some questions about and you'd like to call in and ask us, maybe there's a chance that we could know. Uh, if not, we can certainly point you in the right direction of where to find more information. And, of course, Matt Moniz, our science advisor, has about 20 years' experience investigating the paranormal, so uh, there's not too much he hasn't seen in that time. So any questions that you might have, please, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We shared our first experiences with you uh, via the podcast. Now, we'd like to hear your first experiences if you want to share them with us. And if you don't feel comfortable calling in, you can always go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can log on to the message board, uh, sign up real quick. It's real easy. It's free. Register just so that we know who you are and where you're from. And uh, you can share your stories with us that way as well. We'll read them on the air. If you have questions, we'll, uh, we'll read those as well and try to answer them the best we can. So, But there is one thing that I want to talk about tonight, and uh, that's something that we haven't really addressed on, on Spooky South Coast in the past, and that is the subject of urban legends. There's a lot of these urban legends out there. Now, urban legend itself is kind of a new term for what we used to call maybe old wives' tales. Uh, old wives' tales maybe not so much. That's that's more of a, of a like, you know, sage advice and wisdom. Yeah, and superstition. These are more the stories, the fables, the uh, the myths of... Uh, Misconceptions. In some ways, yes, of, of just... You know, stories that you might have heard growing up, uh, stories that you might have read about. and But now with the digital age, it's taken on a whole new direction. Now these stories that used to be something that you told each other around the campfire are now something that pops up in your inbox as an email and is taken as fact or news. For example, I mean, last week I put out a news story on a MySpace bulletin about a... Uh, a little boy who was uh, given to the Red Sox uh, for care. Uh, I forget the exact story, but the, you know, it was, he was abused, and yeah. everybody in his family. And the judge asked him who he wanted to to be with, and and, and he, they gave him to the Red Sox because there's no way that they could hit, so or something like that. So whatever, whatever it was, I don't remember the specifics. It was, he said that they weren't capable of beating anybody. Yeah, beating anybody. That was it. And of course, it was uh, sent to me by Dan Pyers. So. That's why uh, I get a lot of funny stuff from from my friend Dan. And so I sent it out as a MySpace bulletin, and a lot of people actually did misconstrue it as an actual news bulletin, as an actual news story, because it said that it was from the Boston Globe. So a lot of people were like, ah, I can't find a link on the Boston Globe site to that story. What issue was it in? I want to cut it out and send it to somebody. And it was just, you know, it was another one of these email jokes that become something bigger. By the way, uh, Matt Costa. Later on, you have to check out the MySpace bulletin I, paste, I, I posted earlier. What's up? Uh, separated at birth. <laughs> you have to check that one out later <laughs> on. Uh, that's all we'll say about that on the air here. But <laughs> if this was the special edition podcast, we could talk all about it. But 
we have to actually behave ourselves now because we're in the spooky studio. So, but we're talking about ur- urban legends here. And LiveScience.com, which is one of the great websites that I check all the time for some of the up-to-date scientific information out there, they, uh, they also like to have fun with the information that they're dealing with, too. It's not all straightforward uh, academic articles. And right now they have an article posted up there about urban legends and discrediting a lot of these urban legends that have gone around for years and years and years. So I thought it would be fun to maybe go over some of them, maybe try some of them out, and uh, also to ask the audience out there what urban legends they may have heard. Because while we might not have all heard the same stories, we have all heard variations of similar themes. And I think that uh, if you look at cultures all over the world, there's probably similar themes throughout all these cultures. I mean, not everybody's going to claim to have alligators in the sewer system, but there is a lot of these storylines and ideas that do carry through. Some of them are probably based on some degree of fact, uh, or maybe you know a, a rare instance where something really did happen and it just becomes more blown up. So we'll go over some of those, and, and we'll let you know uh, what we think for in, in terms of some of these urban legends, and we'll also... Well, we're going to test at least one of them out. I can tell you that. So uh, you want to stay tuned for that. And, of course, please share with us any urban legends you may have heard. 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. Again, phone lines are open for the entire program tonight, so we can take your calls on anything paranormal. We know that you want to share it with us. So uh, why don't we uh, take a quick break here. And on the other side, we will read some of these urban legends to you. Uh, from the LiveScience.com website, maybe share a couple uh, of our own that we have heard as well. And uh, we're going to see if we can get Christopher Balzano on the phone, the webmaster of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. We'll see if he wants to join in on the discussion because, after all, MassCrossroads.com is the intersection of reality and legend. So we'll see if we can get Chris to join us. But, again, please, we want to hear from you, 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services, including Reiki, Kuan Yin, Magnified Healing, and Meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations' knowledgeable staff has over 40 years' experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net. There's a multi-legged creature crawling on your shoulder. I will hunt down the alleged record and spread from the kingdom come. Come on, let's go find that spy. Let's find your mom to take care of that spy. Honey, we're in the living room. We need you to kill a spider. He's crawling up my wall. Black hands heavy, very small. Now he's up above my head. I need my little 
Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa, and Matt Moniz here as well. And joining us on the line, we have the administrator of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website, masscrossroads.com. Chris Balzano is here with us. So uh, what's going on, Chris? What's going on with the uh, Mass Crossroads website? Is there new and exciting stuff? I know there's a big, uh, a big convention coming up. Yep, there's a big convention up called the uh, Monster Mash on October the 13th, Friday the 13th, um, close to me here in Watertown. So I'm just kind of getting ready for that. We're going to be talking a lot about the uh, Bridgewater Triangle. Um, we've got me and uh, Aaron and Chris Pittman are all, are all uh, speaking at it. Um, you can go to massmonstermash.com or mo- uh, massmonstermash.org if you want to find out more information. And other than that, I've uh, really been um, actually, um, it's interesting you guys are talking about urban legends. I've been collecting a lot of urban legends with Massachusetts origins lately, and um, I'm just kind of working on some hauntings that I'm getting and, of course, my book. So, right Now, what have you been heard? pretty busy. I'm sorry? Things have been pretty busy. Oh, I can imagine, especially with uh, with the... Haunting season coming up. It's it's only going to exactly. get worse. Yes. What exactly? Uh, what are some of these urban legends in Massachusetts that you've been researching? Well, um, some of them are actually true urban legends. Um, one of them was an urban legend that uh, President Bush once passed a resolution to commend the Boston Strangler. To commend the Bo- why would he commend, commend the Boston Strangler? Well, it's actually it's it's something that is partly true. It uh, it was the Texas legislator of which Bush was not a part of at that time. But in 1971, um, uh, I, I believe it was a, either I believe it was their state senate. Um, uh, Senator Tim Moore proposed um, an official state uh, um, ba- uh, like badge of appreciation to uh, uh, DeSalvo for unconventional use of population control. And his point was that he was trying to basically say that no one ever reads the resolutions that come forward. They just sign them. And so it actually passed. Um, well, I guess he I was think, right then. I think, well, yeah, one person, I think, objected to it because they'd actually read it, and they actually had an official day of recognition for the Boston Strangler in Texas. That is uh, both ridiculous but not surprising. Uh, and... Is there any reason why, in particular, they picked a salvo? Was it just to try to get something that would be so obviously not worthy of recognition in such a way? Uh, I think that he was having fun with it, especially with the wording, his unconventional use of or mm-hmm. unconventional methods, uncontrolling population, but also it was in the news at the time. Okay. Well, even even worse, these people not only did they not read it, but they hadn't watched television to find out, you know, <laughs> about a serial killer who is, you know, active in the country. Well, they don't, they don't read those anyway. They all have their own individual Matt Costas, their own silent assassins that do all that work for them. So, you know, I sometimes wish I had a Matt Costa, but... We can clone him. I'm pretty oh, sure. Beautiful. I'm hoping that you do someday. Moniz uh, could probably come up with something for that. You and Ron Millione together, you can come up with a way to clone the silent assassin. I, um, I also uh, was tracking one that... Um, someone told me recently in complete conversation, they're like, oh, yeah, you know what, this happened. This happened, I heard about this, and blah, 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 blah. And that was, um, I call it the penguin's best friend. And it's that an autistic boy uh, was found missing, or was missing in the New England Aquarium. And the, um, the they eventually found him when they brought him home. He went right up to his room, and his mother was kind of like, well, that's weird. He, I haven't heard from him in an hour. When she got up there, when when she had gotten up there, he had actually stolen one of the penguins out of the penguin exhibit. Well. And this is an urban legend that has actually been going around for years. 
um, that had its rebirth uh, in the in the fall, like November of last year, when the Flight of the Penguins came out. Mm-hmm. And if you call the New England, because the New England Aquarium actually had a huge press conference back in November, uh, December, saying we do not have one of our penguins missing. It was not taken by an autistic kid. But when I called them to find out, the woman that I spoke to said, "Oh yeah, we get two or three calls a day of people still trying to find the, the you know, the, still trying to get the autistic, autistic boy's uh, penguin back into the uh, into the exhibit." So. Now it's it's funny that you mentioned the aquarium because when I was growing up, I I moved around a little bit. And I went to two different schools that were in two different towns, and both of those schools had a student, a former student before I got there, that had fallen from the top of the tank at the New England Aquarium down to the bottom and had to be rescued. So either the, they really don't do a good job of keeping their eye on the kids up top, or that's another one of these urban legends that gets around pretty well. Unless, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, your contacts over there told you that, yeah, we lose kids down that tank all the time, and they're um, basically they- shark food. Well, actually, they, they made a point to say that, you know, it's so high that there's no way anyone would, be able, would ever be able to get over the fence. Mm-hmm. There's this huge thing of water, so no one would ever be able to cross the water. The water's too cold. So uh, they're claiming that, you know, it would take an utter fool and probably somewhat of a, a ninja to actually get across all that stuff to uh, be able to steal well, don't any of the uh, animals. Don't count out the penguins stealing ninjas either. I mean, I, I, all these urban on. legends have to have some degree of truth in them somewhere, and those penguin stealing ninjas might just be the, the root of all of this. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're, they're hitting the nation, the penguin stealing ninjas. So. And, and uh, you know, we might have to have them on the show because it's, it's definitely a phenomenon. And, you know, we were talking uh, on the phone before we came uh, back to the show here uh, while we're in break, and one of the legends here, I, I'm going to go over some of these uh, off and on during the course of our conversation, but basically these all come from LiveScience.com. And, of course, if you search, if you Google, oh, I'm sorry, can't use that anymore. If you uh, internet search engine web search, I don't know if you heard, Google's trying to stop the rest of the world from using Google as a generic term for searching on the internet. Huh, that's, that's actually oh. interesting. Yeah, they've, they're trying to copyright it. And at the same time, like, you know, when we call all, all soft drinks Cokes and when we call all tissues Kleenexes, you know, they, they want to eliminate Google. But anyway, if you internet search... For uh, Urban Legends, you'll find uh, a lot of these same ones that we're talking about anyway. And one of the big ones that I found on this list, and let me see if I can find their exact wording of it. Um, Let's see here. The Vanishing Hitchhiker, one of the oldest known urban legends around. This ghostly tale goes back to a time when the mystery hitchhiker was picked up in a horse and buggy. The passenger is often a young girl who, upon reaching the address she has provided, is found to have disappeared from the backseat altogether. The driver discovers his charge to have died several years earlier. Completely unverifiable, but a chilling tale nonetheless. And, of course, it's a little bit different, but Massachusetts has its own version of, of that legend. Uh, why don't you share, for the listeners unfamiliar, exactly what that is? Uh, that would be the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44, um, who is seen on the Rehoboth-Seconk uh, line um, and follows a very similar pattern to, to, to what they say uh, in those legends. Um, he is seen either outside of the car or people drive through him uh, and then stop and then get out of the car and he's either doesn't show up again or he's perfectly fine on the side of the road. He usually ends up taunting them in some way. Uh, it always kind of ends with an exclamation point with the red-headed hitchhiker. Either he'll control your radio and his voice will come over the radio or, um, or you know, he'll, he'll, he'll vanish um, 
like in the classic legend. I think that's a circumstance, though, where genuine hauntings happened, most likely in the, in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. People began to hear about it, and then they began to kind of transfer all these things that are part of that vanishing hitchhiker legend mm-hmm. and attach them to him. Well, it could also be that, you know, these well-traveled roads do have legitimate hauntings and there are and it's just a similar circumstance in all of these cases. I mean, we're, it's not to say that it is an urban legend necessarily. Uh, I know that here we've taken phone calls about a similar spirit that travels up and down Route 6. Mm-hmm. So, I've actually heard a few things about Route 6 as well. And similar to that, to that situation or just something different? Um, almost exactly to that. That's because that's what we heard. We heard the the red hair and the flannel shirt and, and basically the same description. So uh, maybe oh, I haven't I haven't heard the same description. I've heard of a the same kind of driver. I mean, same kind of person, but not but wearing different clothes. It was a um, and one a woman as well. The interesting thing is, I know that there uh, in recent years there's been a couple of deaths along Route Six, uh, which might have kind of heighten the, the paranormal activity there if it is indeed happening. And do you think that uh, maybe each time something like that happens, it only just fuels the fire for these urban legends to keep growing? I think it does. I think that a lot of unexplained things happen on roads like that, and a lot of deaths add weight to it. But I do also think there's, there's a... It becomes... You, you want to get involved in what's going on. You want to have experience what someone else experiences. So if someone you know has had a genuine experience, sometimes you come forward with kind of a, a variation on it mm-hmm. or you change their story. Um, but I know that Six, for example, is kind of slowly getting a reputation as being you know, one of the most haunted roadways in, in Massachusetts. Well, it does go uh, all the way to... San uh, Francisco. Well, this stretch of Route 6 goes from... Uh, starts in Wareham. And it ends. Where where exactly does this Route Six end? Does anybody know the Route Six actually this starts in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and ends in San Francisco? But yeah, but I mean, to do to follow that road, you have to bending and turning. I'm talking like the straight, parallel path, the one that runs parallel with the uh, interstate. With 195's yes. Wareham, uh, all the way up to I believe uh, Providence. The 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 point I'm trying to get at here is maybe uh, w- having the fact that the route, stretch of Route 6 runs parallel with the 195 uh, highway, maybe that's kind of taking all the activity that could have happened on both roadways and concentrating it in that area. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. as you drive down the highway, you see all these crosses and memorials put up to all these accidents, to all these incidents that have happened. And, of course, here in the city of New Bedford and, and Fall River, we know what happened on those highways uh, over 10 years ago now. Uh, we know the unfortunate circumstances of the the young ladies that were. Um, That's going back almost yeah. twenty years ago. Yeah, well, I'm dating myself here, but so I mean, maybe there is that build up there, and it, it doesn't have to stay on the highway. It can stretch out to the suburbs and become suburban legends. Uh, now, some of these, Chris, that are on this list, I don't know if you've uh, if you're a frequent visitor of LiveScience.com, but. It's it's a lot of them are just fun stuff and and things that we've heard over the years and in some cases accepted to be true. I mean, like uh, one here, birds and rice don't mix. Now, I always heard you don't throw rice at a wedding anymore because the birds choke on it. But uh, apparently, uh, it swells up and they they uh, 
According to LiveScience.com here, experts say that birds can ingest uncooked rice just fine with no risk of blowing up. So, you know, maybe it's... Uh, it all depends. Are you tossing a lot of it? I, I don't know. I, I suppose if a bird ingests too much of anything, it'll probably explode. I mean, if you feed it too much bread, you know, you'll blow it up. It's only a little bird, right? There is one on here that I do, do see that I do know is actually true, and that's uh, sp- spiders and the cactus. There are certain varieties of uh, desert tarantula that do lay their eggs inside cactus. Well, I've I've seen plants myself that seem to almost grow their own spiders, uh, spider plants. I mean, no, it, I mean these, these actually lay their eggs within. Well, that's, side. What, that's what I mean. Some of these are very attractive for the insect to build its nest. So I mean, it's all it takes is for one time for it to happen, and it becomes a story. And then all of a sudden, every cactus is full of spiders. I think that's what's great about urban legends. They take something that is truthful or something that we are fearful of and manipulate it so kind of like the two clash. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, um, you know, breaking the law and bringing a plant illegally into the country mixes with the genuine fact that there are, uh, you know, insects that do lay their, their eggs inside a plant and boom, an urban legend is born. Or maybe they're hiding something else inside that cactus to get it into the country, too. That's a possibility. Uh, and so while we're talking about spiders, my uh, my two well-coiffed companions here in the studio will mention this one, Spiders in the Hairdo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is a classic that worked well in the heyday of bouffant hairdos. When a woman dies a mysterious death, doctors discover later that she'd been mercilessly attacked by a colony of spiders nesting in her dense thicket of hair. The legend was meant as a 1950s caution against choosing vanity over hygiene, and it sometimes appears today with the victim sporting dreadlocks. So I hadn't really heard too much of that. Uh, I haven't heard that get around, but that's definitely a creepy way to to die, to be attacked by spiders in your hair. And that shows kind of the nature of the evolving, uh, the evolving quality of an urban legend. How it can how it can transfer from the uh, the big old beehive hairdos of, that my mom used to wear that I've got some great pictures of to you know, that kind of what the equivalent would be now, which would be you know dreadlocks. Marge Simpson is screwed, by the way. No, but, uh, I mean, Chris, uh... Actually, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you guys uh, ever watched the old Jackson 5 cartoon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When all the time Tito would go into his uh, into his afro to pull something yeah. out. Yeah. They oh. needed a bike, bike pump, and he would go in there and he'd find one. Yeah, we need a colony of spiders. Here you go. Here's some spiders. <laughs> uh, now, I don't know how much stock you put in uh, shadow spiders uh, from the shadow people realm, but uh, maybe that kind of ties into that, you know what I mean? Like, uh... Maybe these uh, spiders aren't really shadows as we think they are. Maybe they're just nesting in our heads and we don't know it. That's why I shaved my head down. There you go. Definitely you know, no spiders going on. We're creeping people out right now. People are so All the spiders are on the inside, Chris? <laughs> yes, all the spiders are definitely on the inside. Well, all the cobwebs are on the inside of mine. I don't know if there's any spiders living in them, but there's definitely cobwebs. Uh, let's see some of these other ones here. Uh, stolen kidneys. Now, this is one that every couple of years breaks huge. And uh, now with the Internet, it becomes even more uh, ridiculous as, as it happens. Uh, a, drug inda- a drug-induced haze, a bathtub full of ice, a gaping hole where the left kidney should be. You may have heard the main ingredients of this popular legend, which is turned up in various forms. Organized bands of organ thieves are the usual culprits, and students or business travelers are their victims. A particularly rampant email outbreak of this untrue tale in 1997 prompted law and organ donor groups to issue press releases debunking the legend. I mean, we've all heard of that. You know, the the young co-ed uh, meets a guy at a party and wakes up in a bathtub full of ice missing uh, some vital organs. And 
I mean, really, how plausible is this? Is it really that possible that somebody could perform this surgery on you in a hotel room, you know, while you're under the influence of uh, a roofie or something? I mean, is it? Is it re- <laughs> I'm sorry, would you prefer that I use the term rohypno? No, this is fine. Don't ask why I know so much about this stuff. It's how Matt Costa teaches me about it. But, uh, you know, what are the real chances of that happening? Is that... Is that something that you still hear to this day, Chris? I mean, I, I still hear it going around college campuses. I still hear that, and, that, and that's, that's one of those cases where um, people sometimes hear an urban legend and decide, you know what, that's something that I want to try, and it becomes something, it becomes an actual news story. You want to try? I you think mean, people have tried that. People hear uh, it, and they actually try to steal people's kidneys? I think that some people have actually attempted, been caught attempting that kind of thing. The person has just bled out and died. Wow, that's crazy. I don't know. I, I, I don't care how much money I need. I'm not confident in my medical abilities enough. Not so much that I would, you know, be concerned about being able to operate, take the kidney out, sew them back up, and let them live. I'd just be worried I'd damage the organ or something. I'm not, and then you got to have, like, a cooler full of ice ready and, you know, a med flight. And a buyer. For, yeah, and a buyer. It's, it's crazy. I mean, well, you know, from what I understand, though, David Crosby is always in the market for an extra liver. <laughs> so there is always that possibility. There's actually another interesting thing that's like that is the, um, the classic urban legend of the blinking lights, where you see a car and it doesn't have its lights on. You blink to tell them that, that they need to turn their lights on. They turn around and one of them kills you. It's, it's kind of a gang initiation. And for years, that was a classic urban legend. I think it was actually even used in the movie Urban Legend. But then what happened was gangs started to adopt that. They were like, hey, yeah, that sounds like a good initiation. So... There are circumstances where urban legends are just kind of there, and they've been passed down from years, and then all of a sudden it catches on, and people like make it come to life. Yeah, I think we did actually have a problem. I remember reading in the newspaper a few years back when I was in high school that uh, they were advising you not to, to flash a car that didn't have its headlights on because that was actually happening. I don't know if it progressed to the point of murder. But uh, there was definitely some harassment going on uh, to people that drove around that way. And, of course, you know, you got to reserve that so that you can flash your, your lights when you tell somebody that, you know, they need to actually turn them on or there's a – well, we don't want to say that on the radio. Sure we do. When there's a car. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of these, like you said, they do tend to pop up because people hear them and they do tend to think that they're real and it does cause a panic. Uh, and one of the ones they have listed here, infected needles in payphones. Are legions of infected needles lurking menacingly in the coin return slots of our public payphones? This story blames drug users for depositing the hypodermics, and the legend usually includes a note announcing that the victim has just been jabbed with HIV. The change isn't worth it, email warning scold, but the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention says otherwise. The CDC had never had reports of this happening or had been asked to test any needles infected with HIV, and the reports seem to have no foundation, the agency maintains. But you still hear this all the time. You still hear these on the news. Uh, A news story or a newspaper story will announce that there is a rash of, it doesn't necessarily have to be an infected needle. Uh, one of the ones that I remember hearing years ago was uh, scorpions. People were placing scorpions in the coin return slots of, of pay phones. And you would think, what is, why would they do that? Why would they buy a scorpion and put it in a coin return slot if they're not going to get anything out of it? There are people in this world that are sick enough to do something like that. So when you hear these stories and, and they... You know, our natural inclination is to believe the negative in people, and so it does not sound out of the realm of possibility. 
And have, have you ever uh, stuck your finger in a coin slot to see if there's any change in there? Oh, I always do now. <laughs> well, I always, I always make sure. And also, a variation of that is um, uh, needles on seats at movie theaters. No, oh, now that one I hadn't heard. If that's kind of a variation of the same thing, and then, the, and then when, when you prick with the needle, there's a note attached which says you're infected. So now, I never, I always, you know, check because I know, I, you know, I'm a teacher now, so I definitely always need money. I'm always checking those coin slots. <laughs> and I'm always looking down before I sit down to make sure there are no needles. Well, also, being a teacher, you always have to look down anyway because you never know there's going to be a frog or a mousetrap or anything either. So, Well, exactly. At least in the, at least in the case of when I was in school. Uh, let's see some of these other ones that are here. Uh, the poodle in the microwave. Uh, the protagonist here is usually a hapless old lady just looking for a quick way to dry Fluffy off after a bath. Microwave rays plus squishy, meaty poodle equals, well, you can do the messy math yourself. While there's no evidence that this has ever been done unknowingly, pet owners with less innocent motives have been caught nuking their furry friends. And, of course, uh, what I always hear is the, the hamster cryogenic experiment. No, it's all right with houseflies, Matt. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all right with houseflies. But the hamster exper- experiment where uh, somebody freezes the pet hamster in the freezer and then tries to bring them back to life in the microwave and forgets to set it for defrost and leaves it on high instead and... You know, you have hamster shake all over the inside of the microwave. So, and if, and if you have heard any of these ver- any versions of this, or or if uh, any other urban legends that we're not covering here, please call us up, share them with us five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred on the message board at SpookySouthCoast dot com as well. Have you ever had any Tim Hortons coffee, Chris? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, apparently, it's a it's huge in Canada. And their iconic coffee and donut shops keep customers coming back with their fresh brewed goodness. Or is it something else? According to this tale, American visitors who either got hooked on or had reactions after drinking Tim Horton's famous coffee blame the outlet for lacing its recipe with nicotine. The story was so widespread that the company had to issue a press release denying the coffee contains anything addictive uh, well, besides coffee. It's their story, and they're sticking with it. So, eh, I, I really hadn't heard that, but uh, I suppose the logical candidate here would be Dunkin' Donuts. Don't they say say that about the uh, the Colonel's chicken? That they have in, uh, in some Ad- sort of addictive ingredient? Addictive chemicals. You know, I'm still I'm still not. Uh, you can't convince me that McDonald's doesn't have something in their food, as much as they swear that they don't. And you know, we've seen the film Supersize Me, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they put crack in the Shamrock Shake. There's got to be something in there. In the little Jameson's, maybe. I don't <laughs> Shot know. Shot of Jameson. <laughs> but really, it's it, it does have that certain sense and flavor to it. When you walk into a McDonald's, no matter what you eat in there, tastes like a McDonald's. A salad tastes like a McDonald's. You know what I mean? It has its own flavor, so there's, there's got to be something in it. Uh, maybe it's this special sauce here, which is another one of these legends. Possibly the most gag-inducing legend out there, the tumor in the chicken sandwich story involves a woman who discovers that the mayo in her lunch isn't mayo after all. It is a growth belonging to the chicken that has exploded in her mouth. The fact that most fast food chicken is so hyper-processed is a good thing for once and makes this tale incredible. So, um, That's actually another um, one that originated in Massachusetts. Really? Yep. The first two reports of the, uh, the exploding growth uh, came from Massachusetts. Now, they didn't actually, of course, because they never happened, but the person was supposed to have lived in Massachusetts. I remember years and years ago, McDonald's put out a... Uh, a variation of the chim- Chicken McNugget, where it was the, and excuse me for using the political incorrect term, but this was 20 years ago, the Oriental Chicken Nugget. 
And uh, what it was is it came with duck sauce instead of the regular sweet and sour sauce, and it came with um, chopsticks. And apparently there was some sort of issue where they found beaks or claws or something in it, and they had to discontinue it. And it was generally regarded as an urban legend. McDonald's put it, put it to rest, and they said, the reason why we canceled these is because they didn't sell, plain and simple. People like the chicken nuggets the way they are. They don't want this variation. But then we find out maybe 10 years later when they first introduced, uh, what was it, the, the Mighty Wings, and the woman found the, the chicken head. Do you remember that story, Chris? No, I don't. Oh, it's a, oh you got to look it up online because they actually have a picture of the fried chicken head. Like somebody dipped it in the batter and fried it, not even realizing that it was a actual head of a chicken. It's well, crazy. if there's a picture, it's got to be true. Oh, of course. I mean, it could have just been a coincidental chicken wing that looked like a head. I don't know if they actually ripped it open to find out, but it'd be interesting if they did. Uh, they're trying to see what else here we have. Pee in the pool. We have to cover pee in the pool. Uh, because how many times do you, especially now, you know, uh, Labor Day weekend, as, as much as the weather might uh, not be conducive to it, but everybody goes swimming, everybody goes in the pool, and, you know, natural inclination to have to uh, let a little relief out. And what does everybody always say? I put a chemical in the pool so that if you go in the pool, it's going to turn red, and I'm going to know that you did it. Well, chemicals that turn pool water red at the hint of urine are an embarrassing prospect, but thankfully for some, they just don't exist. So, Matt, what do you think of that, it being a, a chemist? Is, is that true? Not completely. There are certain chemical indi- indicators that we use in testing all the time that we'll, that you can put in that changes color for the detection of urea. Well, look at, look at it like the this. The amount it would take to put into the pool would be, you know, the, you wouldn't want to be swimming in it to start with. I know that when I uh, use my facilities at home, the, the water is a lovely shade of blue, beforehand and when i'm done it's a it's a green color so i mean there are <laughs> we're not telling pee jokes on spooky south coast but there is a tendency to be able to alter the color of water when the when urine is present so it's not an unbelievable prospect and uh, it, it certainly does a good job with me you know i'm i was always afraid that i was going to embarrass myself and everyone else so um what are the chemicals uh talking about is uh, phenolphthalein uh it'll turn it pink that's in Diet Coke, isn't it? I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Look at the ingredients here. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it is. Because I remember uh, when my wife was pregnant, uh, she had to stop drinking Diet Coke because it ca- it has phenylphthalein in it, and Diet Pepsi did not, so she made the switch because apparently it's it's bad for you when you're pregnant. Maybe this is just another urban legend no. that we are dis- discovering right now. No. No No phenylphthalein in there? No. Phenylphthalein. Oh, phenylphthalein. Oh. Well... <laughs> Yeah, there's also an urban legend out there that I'm somewhat intelligent, so ignore that one as well. And uh, coming up on the time of year for this one, razor blades and Halloween candy. Someone ruined the fun for all of us, spreading this cautionary tale about razor blades turning up in apples, candy, and other treats given out at Halloween. Intense parental candy scanning ensued, though actual occurrences of booby trap goodies are extremely rare. Most of the fear-mongering developed because of the 1982 Tylenol tampering scare. Now, every year at Halloween, we hear the local hospitals open up their x-ray machines for trick-or-treaters to run their candy through to make sure that there isn't any foreign substances placed into that candy. So are they being overly cautious? Is, is this something that is unnecessary? Uh, Chris, when you, when you went trick-or-treating, what, you know, did, was there a ritual, uh, a process before you could have your candy? 
Uh, usually it meant my mom and dad picking out everything they wanted first. I was going to say, my, my, grandfather, uh, my grandfather, when he was alive, he had this incredible instinct, this incredible heightened sense to be able to detect which candy was poison. He just knew which candy had had some sort of poisonous substance put into it. And he would always save me the trouble of having to eat that candy and die. And he would put it aside and he would say, you know, uh, luckily for me, it's a small level of poison and an adult can consume that much poison without any kind of negative reaction to it. And it seemed to me that it was always like the bullseye caramels and the Snickers bars. and You know, the, nobody ever poisoned the popcorn or the bag of pennies. So... I um, it's, it's interesting they say that it, it might be back to the Tylenol yes, uh, scare, the, the 1982 Tylenol tampering scare. Right, because the um, there's actually uh, and this is what happens. People always think they might have the origin of it, but if I remember correctly, in Halloween two, there is a scene of uh, several kids who have had their uh, candy tampered with with razor blades, like the apples with the razor blades, mm-hmm. and. You know, that predates, what's that, 1977, 78? Yeah, about there, yeah. Halloween, too. So it's just one of those things where, and then you said something else, uh, where they thought they had narrowed it down. It, it always seems that these urban legends, people think they can nail down exactly when it started, and then they find out, oh, there was a variation of it. In the yeah, movie. it's been going on well before that. Well, speaking of 70s horror movies that might have lent to some of these, uh, Alligators in the New York City Sewers. This favorite supposes that ca- uh, colonies of alligators are milling about in the NYC sewer network, released there by people when they realize the cute baby gators they bought in Florida do, in fact, grow bigger. Experts say it's unlikely an alligator could survive in the cold of New York, however, and let alone the toxic bacterial stew of its sewers. So uh, I'm still not going to go in there and take the chance. The The alligators might not be able to survive it, but the uh, the jumbo sewer rats certainly can. Yeah, that's, alligators are the least thing to worry about when you're uh, in the New York sewers. Yeah, just the, the liquid substance that's in there alone is enough. And, of course, it wouldn't be talking about urban legends if we didn't mention the number one urban legend that every kid learns about growing up, Pop Rocks and Cola, the explosive combination. Can mixing fizzy Pop Rocks candy with cola be a painful carbonated eruption in the stomachs of our nation's youth? Alarmingly, yes, according to a legend that circulated soon after the popular but odd candy was released in the 1970s. The company that manufactured the confection tried to soothe public fears with tests proving decidedly otherwise, but has had little success eradicating this legend. So what we're going to do is right now we are going to disprove that legend right here live on the air on Spooky South Coast. We're going to prove that the Pop Rocks and Soda urban legend is indeed a myth. We have science advisor Matt Moniz uh, was able to, in the lab, develop uh, No, he just went to the store and he bought a couple of packages of Pop Rocks. Uh, this is regular Pop Rocks. It's actually the bubblegum version, but it it's still the same idea. It is uh, entertainment for your whole mouth, real popping action, and uh, the active ingredient in this being uh, hydrochloric acid. So there is that, and uh, we also we also have uh, the cola necessary to conduct this experiment. Chris, if you don't mind bearing with us here, we're going to do this now. And then uh, right after that, we'll go to the CBS News. We'll be back with The Week in Weird. If Chris wants to hang out, we'll talk to him some more, and and we'll kick around some other topics. And, of course, we'll take your calls, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. That is, of course, if we can survive the Pop Rocks and Cola experiment, which we will do right now. So bear with us. We get uh, 
Soft drinks at the ready. Matt, hold out your hand. I'm going to give you some Pop Rocks. Here we go. Matt has Diet Coke now. Does that does that give him a distinct advantage? Does the phenylphthalein prevent the explosion? All right, here we go. Jennifer, Adam, I love you. All right, let's all do this together. All right. Oh, you can hear the Pop Rocks in your hand, Matt. All right, here we go. Now, what do you do? You put them in your mouth and then drink the soda? Is that the plan? Are we supposed to leave it in our mouth? I think so. Yeah. All right, we're running out of time. One, two, three, go. Try and drink it. Go. Hello? Guys? Guys? All right. We we actually survived it. Just barely. Uh, if you, you can hear in the back of my throat, there's still Pop Rocks popping. Severely, uh, severely unprofessional of us. But nevertheless, that is what we are willing to do to prove or disprove these urban legends. Maybe you have some more that you think we can try out. We're certainly willing to try it out at midnight. Uh, we'll probably be off the air by that point. But we are going to say Bloody Mary in the mirror uh, five times fast and spin around in circles. And We'll try the Penny Dreadful one, too. Maybe we can do that. So stay tuned for the CBS News, and then we'll be right back with more Spooky South Coast uh, right here on WBSM. Spooky South Coast is back. I can smell your fears. I'm not afraid. You will be. Two of Spooky South Coast here on what is going to soon be a stormy night. And we are talking about urban legends with Chris Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. Check it out at masscrossroads.com. And you can also check out our website, spookysouthcoast.com, where we have uh, some always some very good paranormal discussion going on on our message boards. We, uh, we also have the blog up there where you can listen to all the previous programs as well. And soon enough, we will have a link up there to the Spooky South Coast store. If you go to cafepress.com slash Spooky South, you can get all your Spooky South Coast merchandise needs. And uh, with the holiday shopping season right around the corner, you know, who doesn't need a Spooky South Coast clock? A Spooky South Coast dog t-shirt? We've talked about the thong. We don't need to talk about the thong. But it's there if you want it. 
And uh, for the men, there's also spooky South Coast boxer shorts. So, But w- basically, I'm mentioning it because uh, we still do have the ongoing contest on our on our website to submit your logo idea for spooky south coast to submit your design for a logo or for a a, a headline you know like a banner a link whatever it is that you design that expresses what spooky south coast is all about and we've had a couple of terrific entries over the past couple of weeks uh, some some real professional artists have gotten involved and we're we're big fans of both of these designs that have come out so far. We're big fans of all the designs that have come out so far. We're going to put them all up there eventually. We're going to have everybody vote on which ones they like. We haven't really determined if uh, we're going to make the final decision or we're going to let the votes determine the final decision. We'll come up with it. We'll figure it all out. But that's the way that it's going. I'm thinking this is something that we could probably keep going all the time because we are dirt poor and because the prize is nothing more than you win a free t-shirt and you get to come on the show and talk to us for a bit and and be our special guest host for a little bit uh that's something we could probably keep going so there's other ideas that we have uh for sure and if people are willing to lend their talents to it you know so how about for the month of september we changed this cost uh this this um contest up a little bit and uh, let's see if people can maybe design a a science advisor Matt Moniz specific logo or a silent assassin specific logo. Try that out. Check out your hand at that. And you know, we feel bad having to have you use your talents to benefit us. We really do. But you're so much more talented at it than we are. So please help us out. That's the end of the uh, personal plea segment of the show. And just going over the. Uh, calendar here of what's going on. There's, are you all right? You're still eating those pop rocks. Yes. That's dangerous. Tempting fate. <laughs> Tempting fate. But uh, going over the calendar of some goings on here. There's, there's definitely some things that you want to check out happening, because of course we are now into September, and this is the time when the paranormal season kicks it up a notch. So if uh, you want to go out there and, and experience some of these tours, if you want to uh, visit some of these haunted houses, our friends at the Factory of Terror, who we're going to try to get to come on the show with us, they start on September 15th, and they put on a phenomenal display down there in Fall River. We're going to talk with them because they're a very interesting story. They are not the kind of people you would think would run a haunted house. They are uh, not really big fans of, of, of horror and schlock. Uh, as much as they are the sublime thrills. Also, if you are willing to travel down to the Cape, or if you are on the Cape already listening to us uh, via podcast or over the airwaves there, you can take part in the Barnstable Village Haunted History Walking Tour created by Derek Bartlett, founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. It is a spine-tingling walk through the ghostly paths of Barnstable Village, where you will hear stories of ghosts, mysterious vanishings, smuggling, and the history that makes this quaint New England village unique. The evening includes a two-hour walking tour, sometimes longer depending on how it goes and and how how involved they get, of the village's haunted locations, and participants will visit places such as the Crocker Tavern, the Old Jail, Cobbs Hill Cemetery, which is Cape Cod's most haunted building, the Barnstable House, and many others. Hear how Barnstable contributed to the start of the Revolutionary War and why a woman got tarred and feathered for her actions. The public tours are offered throughout the spring, summer, and fall, they're in the greatest demand during Halloween season, so you want to reserve right now. $15 for adults, kids 8 to 13 are $8, and 8 and under are free. They also do private tours uh, at a cost of $20 a person. 
And uh, the Halloween tours are, like I said, they are in the most demand. So if you want to get involved with those tours, call Capers, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, at 508-224-7321, or visit capers.com. These tours are going on every weekend here coming up. Uh, Friday, September 8th, Saturday, September 9th, Friday, September 15th, Saturday, September 16th, and Saturday, September 23rd. Uh, they will not take part um, on Saturday, I'm sorry, on Friday, September 29th, because on that day, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be the guest speaker, the, the author, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, will be the guest speaker uh, at the Capers Open Meeting at Cape Cod Community College, talking about the ghosts of Angela Webb, a true and shocking account of a house in New Jersey that traps the doomed souls of its occupants, including the spirits of suicide victims, accidents and untimely deaths, and even a lustful ghost that likes to have sex with the living. Somebody call Rosemary. Get me an address. I'm sorry. Oh, all, right, all right, I'm back. So that will be September 29, 2006, from 7 to 9 at the Cape Cod Community College. Again, all this information is up on capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com. And uh, also on September 30th, the day after that presentation, you can walk the Haunted History Tour with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She will be joining Derek and the Capers group on that trip. So that was a special price of $20 uh, for that for adults, children 8 to 13, $10. So, again, visit capers.com for all that information. We will have Rosemary Ellen Guiley on the program uh, the week before that. So uh, if it's the 30th, we will have her on the 23rd of September to talk about the, the Ghost of Angela Webb and uh, many of her other books that she's written, uh, which I know Matt Costa is a big fan of. He has quite a few of them himself. So are you reading one right now, Matt? Or? Uh, I'm, I'm perusing through the uh, Encyclopedia of Ghosts and Spirits. Excellent. And uh, speaking of encyclopedias, uh, there is also the book by Jeff Belanger out there, the Encyclopedia of Nightmares. Please get yourself a copy of that book and uh, start reading it and, and going through it. Go to spooky, uh, I'm sorry, cafepress.com slash spooky south. Order the Spooky South Coast Dream Journal and start recording all your dreams because coming up soon we are going to have a show about dreams and dreaming, nightmares, lucid dreaming, all these different aspects of the dream state. And uh, also we are going to talk with, as soon as I can get one to agree to come on the show, we're going to talk with a sleep expert because so many of these paranormal phenomena that take place are actually sleep disorders that can be misinterpreted. So we will focus on that sometime in the future. But we're going to want you to have some of your dreams ready to be discussed, to be analyzed, to be dissected. So start writing them all down. Now that we've gotten through all of that business that we had to take care of, that's two weeks' worth of business built up right there because we got lazy when we went on the air. We're like, eh, we're not on the radio. We don't need to actually plug anything or do any work. So... All we did was joke around, have some burgers, almost burned my house down, but we still did The Week in Weird. And it doesn't get any weirder than this. From the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom, Hitler and Stalin were possessed by the devil, said the Vatican's chief exorcist, Father Gabriel Amorth, who is Pope Benedict. Uh, the 16th, yeah. You think I would know that? It shows you how much attention I pay. He is his official caster out of demons. Uh, that is the quote. Made these comments during an interview with Vatican Radio. Father Amoth said, Of course, the devil exists, and he can not only possess a single person, but also groups and entire populations. 
I am convinced that the Nazis were all possessed. All you have to do is think about what Hitler and Stalin did. Almost certainly they were possessed by the devil. You can tell by their behavior and their actions from the horrors they committed and the atrocities that were committed on their orders. That's why we need to defend society from demons. According to secret Vatican documents recently released, wartime pontiff Pope Pius XII attempted, quote, a long-distance exorcism of Hitler, which failed to have any effect. Father Amor said it's very rare that praying and attempting to carry out an exorcism from a distance works. Of course, you can pray for someone from a distance, but in this case, it would not have had any effect. One of the key requirements for an exorcism is to be present in front of the possessed person, and that person also has to be consenting and willing. Therefore, trying to carry out an exorcism on someone who is not present or consenting and willing would prove very difficult. So, But he does, uh, he does hold fast to the notion that Hitler and Stalin were possessed by the devil uh, during the time of World War II. In the past, Father Amorth has also spoken out against the Harry Potter books, claiming that reading the novels of the teen wizard opens children's minds to dabbling with the occult and black magic. He, he is the president of the International Association of Exorcists, and he said of the J.K. Rowling books, Behind Harry Potter hides the signature of the king of darkness, the devil. He said they contain innumerable positive references to magic, which he calls the satanic art, and added the book's attempt to make a false distinction between black and white magic, when in fact the distinction, quote, does not exist because magic is always a turn to the devil. So, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if I, uh, I like the old way where the Vatican kind of kept the exorcism ideas uh, in-house. Or now that they are out there and they are offering courses to other uh, members of the clergy to try to get them trained to be exorcists, is it reflective of the times? Is it reflective of the beliefs of this pope and his administration? I mean, time will tell. We'll see what happens. Uh, I know it's too late for Stalin and Hitler, so we'll see what happens uh, in some of these other conflicts that are breaking out around the world. If Stalin and Hitler were indeed possessed by the devil... Maybe some of these other leaders that are threatening freedom now uh, are in a similar situation. Matt Costa, what do you have for us that's weird? The Arizona Daily Star <clears throat> reports that the remains of actor James Doohan, who played the Starship Enterprise's chief engineer Scotty on Star Trek, will be blasted into space in October. The actor who inspired the catchphrase, Beam Me Up Scotty, even though it was never actually uttered on the show, died a year a year ago at the age of 85. Houston-based commercial company Space, Space Services originally planned to blast Dewan's remains into space last year, but the flight was delayed to allow more tests on the rocket. Dewan's ashes will be blasted up along with the remains of up to a, over, over 100 people, including astronaut Gordon Cooper, who first went into space in 1963. After a short flight, the rocket will return to Earth with the capsules holding the remains. The second flight in December will send the capsule containing Dewan's remains into orbit, where it will remain for several years. The capsule will eventually drop out of orbit and burn up in, the, in Earth's atmosphere. To mark the flight of his final frontier, Dewan's family will hold a service for his fans on the day of the launch to pay tribute to him. Thousands are expected to attend, many in costume. It's not. They're not. They're not going to be in costume. They're going to be in Starfleet uniform. It's well, not a costume. <laughs> They've earned those uniforms through many years of study and dorks. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm a huge Star Trek fan myself. I don't actually own Nerd. the uniforms, but uh, I am a fan. My question is, uh, was the delay of uh, beaming up his ashes have anything to do with they didn't have enough dilithium crystals? 
to get the rocket up to warp speed enough. You know? call, are you calling him fat? <laughs> is, that what, is that what this is all he was, about? He was giving he was a, a large man. He, That's a lot of ashes. Yeah. yeah. So they were when they were uh, they were trying to actually incinerate him. They're pushing him in, and they said to the guys, "Like, no, you gotta push harder." He's like, "I'm giving him all he's got." Pooh stuck in the honey tree. <sighs> I'm giving him all I've got. Yeah, Matt Moniz, why don't you give us all you've got and beam us out of here with this? Uh, we're going nowhere fast, so. All right, uh, this comes from the Associated Press. I find this rather tragic, but maybe some people that are into uh, ghost hunting may take a very valuable this, lesson from this. This is, this is the no-joke time of the week. And this is yeah. a, a public service message. Okay, this comes from the Associated Press out of Columbus, Ohio. A grand jury indicted a man Thursday on five counts of felonious assault in the shooting of a teen who, who was seen sneaking around the outside of his house where her and her friends considered a spooky area. Each count returned by the Franklin County Grand Jury against Alan Davis, 40, carries a sentence of three to eight years in prison. He is accused of firing a rifle from his house at a carload of girls after hearing them outside his house on the night of August 22nd. One of the girls... Rachel Brzezinski, 17, was shot in the head and critically injured, but had improved to fair condition Thursday night in Ohio State University Medical Center. Davis remained in the Franklin County Jail in lieu of a $500,000 bond Thursday night. His arraignment was set for Friday morning. In jailhouse interviews, Davis admits firing the rifle, but said he didn't mean to hurt the girls. He said, however, that they were juvenile delinquents and shouldn't have been trespassing around his house, which sits across from a cemetery. The girls and, and other high school students have gone to the cemeteries to hunt ghosts before, but the girl's father, Greg Brzezinski, said this is a truly tragic event. It is, uh, and we always stress the importance of uh, getting permission before you investigate uh, a place. Also, I mean, there is the aspect of maybe he was a little too quick with the trigger, but and I think that his uh, condemnation of these uh, youngsters as juvenile delinquents because they were trespassing on his property might be a little bit extreme. There's uh, no excuse for what he did. But at the same time, that is another reason why it's very important to get permission. I, I thought I heard a story a few years ago of somebody being shot by a security guard at uh, Danvers State Hospital. Not just a superficial wound, but still shot at, fired upon because they were trespassing. So um, it is the right of, uh, of the property owner to bear arms. So don't forget that when you are trespassing on their property. I mean, uh, they can't shoot you without just cause, but... You don't know what somebody will see as a threat. Uh, let's lighten this up a little bit, Matt. Uh, I, I think the important thing is here, she she is going to be okay. She is in fair condition. Uh, so I wonder if uh, she might uh, have a little bit of a different look toward investigating the paranormal. Less more about the thrills and, and, and more about the serious nature she of it. She almost became a ghost. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, lighten this up a little bit. Tell us about... Uh, some different types of delinquents. From the Associated Press, five people have been detained in China for running striptease send-offs at funerals. 
It is, it is a common practice to have a striptease show at a funeral to increase the number of mourners. In Chinese culture, a large crowd at a funeral is considered a great mark of honor. But recent arrests in the eastern province of Zhangsu could signal the end of this tradition. The area, the arrests in Donghai County, <laughs> Donghai, yes, laugh it up, uh, <laughs> the arrests in Donghai <laughs> County followed striptease acts at a farmer's funeral. 200 people were said to have attended the event, which was held on the 16th of August. The leaders of five striptease troops were held, though it was not said that if it was not said that legal action will be taken against them. Local officials have s- since ordered a halt to ob- the obscene performances and say funeral plans must be submitted in advance. As well as ordering an end to the practice, officials have also said residents can report funeral misdeeds on a hotline, earning a reward for information. That was in Donghai County, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you have to warn us that something like that's coming. I, I like to surprise you. Yeah, I mean, that really was a surprise. I, uh, that's how I want to go out, by the way. I, uh, Strippers I, in Donghai. I used to say that when I passed on to the next plane of existence, I did not want to be laying down in a box. I want to be standing upright in a top hat and tails with a cane, and I want to be leaning up against uh, some sort of uh, concrete pillar, and I want to just be leaning like that with a monocle and one of those cigarettes on a long thing, and that's how I want to be remembered. I want people to come up and talk to me and like I was uh, Fred Astaire. But I've changed my mind now. Now I just want to be sitting down in a sitting position in Donghai County. Getting a lap dance. Getting many, many lap dances, because you know what? That might just defibrillate me back into uh, back into the living state. <sighs> Let's wrap this up with one more story, just because it's a follow-up on a story that we reported on our podcast program. A couple of weeks ago, there was the mysterious dog-type wolf creature that was found in Maine, uh, dead on the side of the road. Uh, nobody was quite sure what it was exactly. and Now, uh, according to today's Sun Journal up in Turner, Maine, the dead animal found beneath power lines off Route 4 last month was 100% dog, according to the final DNA analysis completed Friday. It was not a werewolf. It was not a mutation. It was not some exotic species unknown to mankind, writes the Sun Journal. It was a dog and not even a dog-wolf hybrid, as many had guessed. There are no traces of wolf in this animal, said Dr. Yuri Malakovic, laboratory director at Health Gene Corp in Toronto. There would have been evidence of that in the genome. There was no trace of human in the DNA or of something extraterrestrial either, Malakovic said. The so-called mystery creature that galvanized the community and the rest of the country last month was unremarkable in its lineage. It remained unknown Friday what kind of dog the animal was. There are tests to make such determinations, but they are extensive, costly, and time-consuming. Malakovic believes such tests would be irrelevant. Uh, If you say this is a half-dog, half-human, people will say, wow, he said. If you say it's a dog, they won't care so much. The finding will likely result in an echo of I told you so across the area. Since the strange-looking animal was found August 12th, many have insisted the beast was nothing more than a common dog. They did so in the face of those who believed the dead animal was a mystery creature that had been startling people in western Maine for more than a decade. If there was any consolation for Believers Friday, it was that the real creature may still be out there, alive and as elusive as ever. The creature still in central Maine woods remains the real mystery beast, and the poor dead dog hit by a car on Route 4 was the shadow pretender, said cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, who examined the Turner animal and declared it a dog two weeks ago. So there you have it, uh, the 
the wrap up there. The it was nothing more than a dog up there in Maine, but uh, as what usually happens, the story got a little bit out of control and took off on the internet like wildfire. The links to the wildfire, the links to the pictures are still up, I believe, on SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can just uh, internet search engine program website search for them. And uh, you will find the pictures of the beast. Uh, it just looks like a looks like a dog that basically got blown apart by a car, not just hit and run over. I mean, like pop rocks and soda, all over the place. So there you have it. That is the week and weird here on Spooky South Coast. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk more urban legends. We'll talk Massachusetts urban legends with Chris Balzano of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. And, of course, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your urban legends that you've heard. We want to hear your paranormal experiences. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, or on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change without passion and without logic we've got a panic on our hands it will attack and devour what we are dealing with here is a perfect engine if god created the devil and gave him spooky south coast don't look down but spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you. You're going to need a bigger boat. I'm waiting for it. I just don't know where to come in. There. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. The excellent production work of the silent assassin, Matt Costa. That's right. Yes, ladies, he's single. Oh, wait, that was uh, that was on your bio on the website when uh, we announced that you lived in a train depot with... What was the name of your... Chewy. Chewy? Chewy. Chewy, yeah. Now he, with now he, jams and jellies. Now he's looking to uh, adopt uh, Chupi the Chupacabra from Penny Dreadful. So speaking of Penny Dreadful, I recently got the new book from South Coast Learning in the mail, and her class, The History of Horror, will be October 27th at South Coast Learning. So go to her website, shillingshockers.com, or go to the um, South Coast Learning website, southcoastlearning.org, and you can take the course in The History of Horror. And uh, it's going to be taught by Penny Dreadful and her gang of ghouls. We seem to have lost Christopher Balzano from the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website, so I'm going to have Matt try to get him back on uh, well, we talk about uh, some other urban legends that you may have heard in this area. I mean, there's all these stories that go back to the, I guess you could say the old country. Uh, you know, a lot of these stories that come from Europe. We have a lot of families that immigrated from Europe over the, the course of the, the decades and the centuries here. Europe and elsewhere. And, yeah, exactly. And older countries and older continents are just more superstitious and they're they're more i don't want to say in tune with that type of thought process with the, the well idea. it's more ingrained in their society exactly i mean they come from cultures that are 
that are uh, quite quite old. So I mean, for them to come here to the new world and to have, I don't know, I, I don't want to say the modernist uh, society Im- Im- impose themselves upon it. We're talking about urban legends, and some of these quote-unquote urban legends that sound quite new and quite modern are just twists on old stories that are folklore and mythology that have uh, been with us for decades and centuries. And so many of those still hold true. I mean, we've talked to people here on the show that uh, have had experiences with witchcraft, uh, experiences with, uh, uh, you know, alien visitations. And, and these are all just maybe the modern perception of the same type of phenomena that have going on for years. In all of your research, Matt, and all of your experiences out in the field, I mean, how much of your time was spent chasing down these urban legends or even more so the older superstition myths and legends? Well, like I was talking to you guys before a couple of weeks ago, uh, the first thing I started studying was religions and uh, the various folklore that went along with them. And they all shared the same common traits uh, going back to, you know, earlier civilizations, basic pagan uh, belief systems are the source of a lot of what we have today uh, as far as our superstitions. It's also the source of our civilization as well, so it's a double-edged sword. Um, You know, these traditions and uh, folklores would be carried on from clan to clan and... uh, they're pretty much found worldwide. And then from there, they would um, progress into what we have today. The stories may change over time, the, the names of the people or the circumstances, but roughly a lot of it stays the same. Well, we'd like to hear uh, your experiences with urban legends, ones you may have heard growing up, ones you may have experienced, uh, and you can tell us that they're not urban legends, they're actual fact. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, of course, the lines are totally open. You can talk about anything to do with the paranormal. Uh, you don't have to just necessarily stick to the topic because uh, here at Spooky South Coast we try to help, we try to answer questions, we try to offer advice, we try to connect people with the right uh, sources that they need to talk to things. Uh, we, we may have a general topic of discussion, but we don't hold you to it. You know, you can call up any time with uh, any questions, any thoughts, any theories uh, to discuss anything to do with the paranormal. And speaking of paranormal, the most paranormal guy I know, Chris Balzano, from the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroad, he comes back in with us here on Spooky South Coast. How you doing, Chris? Are you, you back good, with us? Uh, okay. I'm back with you guys, yes. It's good to know I have the title, the most paranormal guy you know. Most paranormal guy. You know what's funny, though, is I say that, but he's actually like, you would never guess when you meet Chris that this is... Uh, what he spends his time working on because you just seem like a regular normal person. So don't take that as a compliment, though. We don't like normal here. No, no, I tried to not be normal as much as possible. <laughs> so, yeah, you were saying uh, before that you have uh, been investigating specific Massachusetts uh, urban legends, and we talked about some of the ones that you've heard about, but uh, there's, there must be a whole slew more that you've, uh, you've heard over the years. There are. There's, uh, there's two specifically. One's an older one, and one's kind of evolving, uh, you know, on a week-by-week basis, it seems. Um, the older one uh, had its origins in 1981 when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there came all these reports out of Boston of clowns that were abducting or assaulting small children. Um, so these kids were reporting 
that clowns were jumping out of black or white vans, oftentimes with weapons uh, and or their pants down, and trying to get the kids into the van. Um, this became such an epidemic of these reports that they actually, the Massachusetts, uh, the Boston police reported um, that these were real uh, kidnappers, that you should protect your kids from the, from the, go, from the, um, the clowns, and that they were around just about every corner. Um, during the entire time, there was no uh, actual assaults that ever happened. There were no reports of abductions. There were no even real credible um, sightings of these people, but the word spread. Um, maybe some people that are older in the audience remember this, but there were actually news reports uh, on the evening news. They would have, you know, just so you know, you know, make sure you keep your children away from clowns with Uzis. Um, and it spread. It originated here in Boston, spread to the suburbs, you know, East Boston, Everett. I remember being living in Everett at the time, and, and, and my parents telling me to, to not um, go outside and talk to any clowns that I ever saw. Um, and then it spread to other parts of the country. Which was actually a big problem in Everett. Anyway, like aside from this, there are just clowns on the street all the time, right? Well, don't forget, this was also right around the time of John Wayne Gacy. Well, that's actually what I was going to say is... Um, if you look back on it, uh, two months before the first report came out was when he was actually convicted. Yeah, but I mean, I was I was being a little bit facetious myself, but like you know, if you saw a clown walking on the street, even in 1981, you know something was up, something was not right. Anyway, I mean, aside from these reports, as long as he was at McDonald's, even that clown's a little bit weird. But uh, it just seems it seems like another variation too of uh, one that I always heard growing up was the the blue van. Uh, I, I don't know, like I said, I moved around a lot, and it seemed like there was just always instances of a blue van that was driving around picking up kids. Now, isn't this the same blue van that would be crashed and have the eight track of Stairway to Heaven still playing? I don't think it's that same blue van. No, this was uh, but this one was mobile, mobile. I said mobile. It was mobile. It was moving. And uh, this van would stop and talk to kids, and, and it got to the point where every time a blue van came, kids would run, which was kind of a problem because we had a blue van at the time, my family, and I was already having enough trouble making friends. So to make them think, well, hey, if they don't want to play with me, we'll find a way to get them to come over either one way or another. No, I shouldn't kid about that. <laughs> Chris is like, what is he talking about tonight? I'm actually thinking, dude, if that's what you had to be to think to yourself, oh, it was because of the blue van reports that people weren't talking to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, the, but no, that was something that I heard uh, at, at different times growing up. And it just seems like there was always these reports of abductions taking place, uh, and there was always uh, a blue van involved in it. I'm trying to think. There was another instance that I heard quite often that had to do with child abduction as well. Um, I really can't recall the specifics. There's of one it. that's in the um, in the mall where they abduct the kid. They take them into the bathroom. They give them a haircut, uh, change their hair color really quick, and try to sneak them out. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a popular one. There, I mean, there's a ton of mall child abduction urban legends. Well, I mean, unfortunately, in a lot of those cases, they might not necessarily be urban legends. I mean, uh, I mean, how fast I can you change a kid's a appearance? Of specific cases where that actually did happen. There was a. a, a made-for-TV movie uh, years ago. I know my first name is Steven with uh, Corky Nemec. And it was literally, it was very chilling watching it as a child to see how easily he was abducted and to realize that this was, was taking place all the time. But there was, 
uh, I'm trying to think. There was another instance where it was it was a story where somebody would go to a school and they would target a specific child, and uh, they would come as a representative of the parents, or and there was some paperwork that they had that they could give to the office, and the office had to let the child go with that person. It's like if if the person gets a hold of this paper and they show up and they they're looking for you, the school has to let them go with you. I just remember hearing that growing up, and it was. It was just very strange that, you know, you had to live in fear that somebody could come into the school and take your kid like that. And I'm talking from the parents' point of view, not necessarily from our point of view. It's funny because uh, when I was interviewing people uh, in the area who were of the age that they were children when these, this uh, clown thing was happening, they're still kind of traumatized by it. Yeah, did they ever catch those guys? Like, I remember, yeah, my mom made us travel in packs all the time. And so, you know, and what, what happened is that, kind of plays upon those worst fears that we have as, as little kids. You know, another one, too, that would always pop up. I know in one in one year in particular, I remember when it was actually true, but especially on Halloween time, there was the escaped convict urban legend going around where two escaped convicts had made it out, and because it was Halloween, uh, they were able to blend in and just look like two guys that were in Halloween costumes and and escape out into the general public, and they were going to knock on your door and, and take over your house and force you to, to give them shelter. Uh, and I'd heard that you know a couple of times growing up, and then I want to say I was 16, so let's say 92 or 93, there actually was an incident where I think it was Bridgewater a couple or Plymouth, a couple of convicts did escape on Halloween night and were out in the general population. They were afraid they wouldn't be able to find them just based on that story. Halloween seems to be uh, ripe for urban legends. I think it's probably because authorities and, and, and people that kind of pass these don't-you-do-that uh, uh, ideas down to us mm-hmm. hate the fact that it's such a chaotic time. So you have uh, you know, your candy's poisoned. There are escaped lunatics around every corner. Um, malls are going to blow up. Uh, but deep down inside, though, isn't that part of... I don't want to, in a twisted, morbid way, isn't that kind of the enjoyment of Halloween to go outside and to have that fear? But, you know, you you still have a little bit of a sense of safety because you want to believe it's an urban legend, but there, that fear does add to the Halloween experience. It does, it does. But, uh, but I think that it also is, is uh, <clears throat> maybe, maybe the adults trying to make it not as enjoyable for They the use children. it as a or, cautionary. Or, or maybe as you grow older, um, you start not liking that fear as much. <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to take our last break of the night, and on the other side, we'd like to hear from you any urban legends uh, that you may have heard over the years. Matt Moniz has one he's going to share with us, uh, but we would like to hear from you. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. Share with us your urban legend stories, what you might have heard. We know there must be a, a whole ton of them here in the South Coast area that we haven't even touched upon, so... Let us know about them. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back.
Ready? I'm Eddie Murphy in the party all the time video. Uh, visual gags. They work terrific on radio. So in the final few minutes here of Spooky South Coast for this evening, we'd like to uh, hear from you. Any urban legends you might have to share with us uh, that we haven't covered already, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. But before we get back into the urban legends, just have a little note for uh, one of our uh, regular listeners and regular callers, Christine, who uh, shared uh, some of her uh, experiences with Rick Hayes a couple of weeks ago. We had Rick Hayes on, uh, and he got a relative of hers coming through from the other side while they were talking on the phone. And I just want to let you know that uh, I spoke with uh, Rick and his uh, his people over there at Life's Gift, and they have a copy of the book uh, on its way to me. And then when it comes here, I will leave it here for you. So there you go. I don't want her to feel like I forgot about her because uh, I, I sp- they print those books themselves, so it takes a little while for it to get going. And she said that it is on its way here, so... As soon as it gets here, we will let you know, and we will leave it here for you, because uh, Rick was very impressed with um, the spirit that came through, and so they felt that they want you to be able to realize how you can better get in touch. And, of course, Rick's going to come back on with us uh, sometime in December. He's going to take your calls, and he's going to see if he can get similar readings for anybody else that calls in. So uh, it should be interesting. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that, because... In some cases, uh, you know, some of these people that claim to have visions of the other side or communicate with the other side, it's a little bit bland and it's a little bit general. But uh, reading some of Rick's books and and hearing about some of his cases, he gets very specific and very detailed. So it should get really interesting. But right now we are going back into the topic of urban legends. And, uh, you know, sooner or later, Chris, we're going to have to just start making up some of our own urban legends here and seeing if we can get them to circulate around. I, uh, I think they have uh, no trouble with new ones popping up all the time, but I'd be more than happy to support as many rumors as I can. I like doing that. I like trying to cause trouble. It's just, no, it'd be interesting to see, like, what we could come up with and to, to do a little bit of an experiment to see if they can develop into something more than they are because it just takes a little bit of truth or a little bit of, of believability, and then it just blows up from there. I mean, how many of these stories have we heard from the time we were children, uh, you know, we were talking, Matt, Matt Moniz and I were talking before the show about uh, the Bloody Mary legend. And uh, I'm sure everybody knows what that is, but why don't you explain for those who don't, Matt? Uh, looking in the mirror, saying Bloody Mary a certain number of times. The number may vary depending upon mm-hmm. where you grew up and what have you, but supposedly the spirit of Mary would appear and you can also use her as an invocation to do levitations of friends and stuff like that. The um, the also the the Bloody Mary uh, legend does alter as well. Uh, in some cases, you can only do it at midnight. Right. Uh, some cases, you can only do it at three a.m. or a full moon. Or there, there's yeah. there's all different kinds of uh, possibilities with that. And uh, there are some other ones that you hear. You know, growing up, just. Um, Things that you don't want to do, uh, you know, the basic superstitions of walking under a ladder, crossing a black cat's path. Stepping on a crack. Yeah, all, all that kind of, you know, and to this day, I mean, I still won't step on a crack. Do I honestly think that my mother's back is going to break because it happens? No. I mean, there were some times where she would get me mad enough, I'd be up there stomping on the cracks to try to get some. Just kidding, Mom. Happy birthday. <laughs> no, really, it's her birthday on Monday. I just thought I'd work that in somehow, but... 
Well, you just hear all these stories. I, I will say to this uh, day, I mean, Matt uh, Costa has seen me when I'm cooking. If I spill a little bit of salt, I do throw it over my shoulder, and I, it has to be my left shoulder. Uh, I, I totally uh, avoid the number three uh, in all possible ways, shapes, and forms. Uh, I won't set an alarm clock to go off at three. I won't uh, leave the car if the clock is on something three. It's just something strange that I do. Um, we all have our little idiosyncrasies like that. Uh, you have any, Chris, yourself? Or? Actually, I was just, I had to berate my wife a few days ago about this one, is that there's an old Italian uh, uh, superstition that if you walk over a child, the child won't grow. If you walk over a child, like... If you walk over a child, the child won't grow unless you then intentionally walk over them the opposite way. And so my parents have told me for years that that's why I'm so short. And <laughs> and my little one, uh, who's now uh, almost 15 months, is, is not exactly uh, growing like a tree. So I saw her walking over him, and I had, what are you doing? What are you crazy? He's not going to grow. So, Well, uh, luckily I don't think anybody's walked over my son because he's being a beast. Do you have any of, is that a way of controlling the, the, the growth? Can I, if I start walking over him, will it slow it down a little bit maybe? And does uh, only he have to Italian. be Italian? Yeah, I don't think you have to be Italian, no. No, no, you don't. It's just, you know, we need an excuse for why we're short. Well, I mean, I, I some of my relatives are of the uh, the Jewish faith and of Yiddish heritage, so you don't even want to get started with the superstitions uh, in terms of that culture. I mean, that's uh, very, almost everything that they do is superstitious. Uh, and Well, they've had close to 8,000 years to build them up. Yeah, exactly. And Irish, uh, the Irish people, they have plenty of... Uh, superstitions and, and plenty of uh, legends and lore that they observe even to this day. Uh, if, if you go to Europe and you go to some of these older countries, and you know they do have that respect for the tradition, even if it isn't true, even if it's just you know hedging your bets and playing it safe, uh, it never hurts. But also, if you're going to look at an urban legend, it's, it's important to look at it and try to determine what the degree of truth is so that we're not all running around scared and paranoid all the time. And that's uh, that's pretty much all you can do. You, you agree with that, Chris, or do you think we should just? Uh... No, I, I think we should, and I think that there's a, a certain amount of um, those that that study the uh, the paranormal, those that are ghost hunters or paranormal investigators. Even if you don't consider yourself a legend seeker, um, you have to know them because there are so many hauntings, so many haunted places that you hear about. That you say, well, that you know, that kind of sounds like this other haunting that I heard of. That you know, it's kind of an urban legend. So mm -hmm. I've had people just flat out tell me of this haunting, always that they heard of from someone else, that really just mirrors an urban legend. So you need to know these myths because you know, not only do they say something about us, they're the, kind of the way that we you know express our fears and, and pass stories down and things like that. But they also, in a very realistic way or a very real way, um, affect investigating. And Ab you can oh, follow those traps. Absolutely. Well, Chris, we thank you for joining us tonight on, on Short Notice to share in our discussion with Urban Legends. And uh, this is something that we'll definitely have to return to uh, back in the future because uh, there's so many more that we didn't get a chance to cover tonight that we can talk about in the future. Well, thank you very much for having me. Hey, Chris. Sorry that yes. recording didn't work out. Yeah, that was kind of weird the way that <laughs> happened. We're, yeah, you're good at that. You're good at making things not work when they're supposed to or, or making things work when they weren't supposed to be on. He's uh, he's a magnet for that kind of stuff. Well, so. unfortunately, he had a negative effect on my research. So, uh. 
It's all right. Gee, thanks. I don't know. I'll get over it. Don't worry. But. Well, uh, again, we thank you, and we'll definitely uh, have you back soon, and we'll talk about that conference coming up. Uh, we will uh, have the organizer of the conference on soon, and, and we'll discuss more about what's going on, and we'll talk about what your uh, presentation will be there as well. Excellent. Keep up the good work, guys. All right. Thank you, and you as well. That's uh, Chris Balzano, the administrator of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website. Visit his website at masscrossroads.com. And if you want to learn a little bit more about that conference, you can go to Mass Monster Mash. Let me find the exact address so I don't mess it up. Mass Monster Mash dot. I, I did lose it. <laughs> uh, we'll have a link up to it. Here it is, right here. That will be a Mass Monster Mash at hotmail.com is the email or at massmonstermash.org. So that'll do it for this week's edition of Spooky South Coast. Stay tuned to the message board and the blog. We'll have more information coming up about who next week's guest is going to be. We have a bunch of big shows planned uh, once we can line up all the stars correctly. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. Stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Prince of Piss. Prince of Piss for years.